Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, non-binary friends of all ages, Las Vegas, Nevada proudly brings to you its World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Podcast of the World, the Irresistible Force, Tommy Tracy, the Immovable Object, Olivia Grayson, that's gotta be wrestling. And today, we are reviewing WrestleMania 3, which took place March 29th in 1987 at the Pontiac Silverdome in Pontiac, Michigan, just outside of Detroit, with a attendance of disputed 97,173, sorry, 93,173, with the tagline, Bigger, Badder, Better, and of course on the poster is the iconic image of Andre the Giant staring down Hulk Hogan, but Olivia, how are you today? I'm wonderful. I'm excited to review this. Three is my lucky number, so we shall see if this panned out to be a, a good show for yeah. not only for, for them in the past, but then for me. with yeah. my lucky number. Of course. So, yeah, WrestleMania three. This is the one that is widely considered, in a weird way, the first WrestleMania, if you think about it. And I don't mean, like, it's the first one, but it's the first one that was, like, WrestleMania to people. Not right. just, like, the super shows that Vince McMahon and company put on. Um, and you heard me talk about the attendance record, the uh, 93,173 that is disputed. And, of course, that has been a long-running issue with the WWE slash F and uh, venues, promoters, journalists. Dave Meltzer reports that there was roughly 78,000 people there, which is still a fuck ton of people. Which seems more realistic because yeah. when you Google the stadium itself and how many seats it held at capacity, I believe the number was roughly 80,000. So I think the ballpark number of 78,000, um, including like all the floor seats, seems more reasonable. Yeah, um, but that Dave Meltzer report is also disputed. So who oh, really knows okay. how many people were there? But it is between 78,000 and 93,000, I'm assuming. So there's that. That's a lot of fun. Um, WrestleMania 3, exciting one. Um, Very exciting. If you've ever seen the pictures online, or if you ever watched this show, you just see how big that crowd is and how small the ring is compared to everything else. Like, in the nosebleeds at this, had to have been pretty terrible, yeah. I think. But, hey... You still gotta go to WrestleMania three, which is pretty exactly. cool. Um, quick notes about the way we're recording today. There is some construction going on. There are people working in the house, and we've also are stuck in a room with two cats right now. So if you hear a little bit of banging, a little bit of meowing, some cars going off, our apologies. Our sincerest apologies, yes. but you're not here for that. You're here for right. wrestling. Our cats, Buffy and Willow, might interject their opinion. Uh, there's yeah. no cats on this show, so yeah. there's a snake. Yeah. So. They're avid wrestling fans, though. They actually, um, they love not only watching, I think their favorite show is probably NXT. That's the one they pay most attention to. But then they also really like watching Total Divas as well. So oh. um, they are well-versed in the wrestling world as well. Yeah, and Willow is a little Jeff Hardy who likes to hang and jump off of yes, things. So exactly. as many cats do. All right, well, let's get started. But before yes. we do, you have a This Day in Wrestling History for I us. I do. So a couple things to note. So today, on July 26th, the day that we are recording, 35 years ago today, Dusty Rhodes wins the NWA world title against Ric Flair in a cage match at the Great American Bash of 1986. And this was his third and final time winning the title. Wow. Yeah. So, fun stuff. I don't think that we're going to review that. No, because the, uh, as I mentioned on our Starcade 85 episode, 86? 85? What was the last one we covered? 86. Yes. Um, the 
first three Great American Bashes, first four, give or take, were all, um, like, three separate dates. Right. They were, like, a touring show. Yeah. And so they're not, like, available to watch on the network. I'm gotcha. sure there's some tapes of them somewhere. Somewhere. But, but they're I not mean, available there. I don't... Sorry. I love wrestling, but I'm not going to try that hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, however, Great American Bash 1988 is the first actual pay-per-view Great American yes. Bash. So we will definitely get to NWA, WCW, Great yes. American Bashes eventually. And then my second point is that one of our faves, um, Roderick Strong, turns 39 today. Oh, wow. Good for yeah. him. He's been around forever. Yeah. Like, since the early days of TNA forever. So, good for Roderick Strong. Yeah, He's awesome. Yeah, happy birthday. Yeah, weird little thing with uh, the Undisputed Era breaking up is, like, good of the Kyle O'Reilly, as good as the Kyle O'Reilly, Adam Cole storyline is, they kind of just kind of threw Bobby Fish and Roderick Strong away, didn't they? Yes. So, a little unfortunate for them. But, right, anything else? Nope, that was the two the two most important the two, things. That was the two. All right, so we move on to our deceased list, as I tend to have for these shows. Uh, we have 28 on this one. It just seems like so many in these older shows, and it's very unfortunate. But hopefully, as time goes on, and as we encroach closer to the present day, these lists will get shorter. <laughs> yeah, you'd think so, but we had to do a couple... AEW pay-per-views with uh, Brody Lee on them, which Oof. is awful. But yeah. All right, so let's get to our list. We have adorable Adrian Adonis, Andrea the Giant, the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, Bobby the Brain Heenan, David Boy Smith, the Canadian strongman Dino Bravo, the natural Butch Reed, the Dynamite Kid, the Fabulous Moolah, there's a lot of those in here, Mean Gene Okerlin, George the Animal Steel, Gorilla Monsoon, the King Harley Race, Hercules Hernandez, Howard Finkel, Jim the Anvil Nightheart, King Kong Bundy, Luscious Johnny Valiant, The Junkyard Dog, Little Beaver, Little Tokyo, and Lord Littlebrook, Miss Elizabeth, Mr. Fuji, Nikolai Volkov, Macho Man Randy Savage, Rowdy Roddy Piper, and the Z-Man Tom Zank, even though he was not known as the Z-Man here. And your cat is very much trying to hang herself in your computer cord right now. <laughs> she so. really is. Good thing this isn't a video podcast. Yeah. Uh, so Vince McMahon welcomes us to WrestleMania 3 in a very iconic shot of him in the middle of the ring. I love the way this arena looks too because the natural light from outside is going through the dome into the arena. And they don't have many of the lights on so it looks really cool. Uh, the Pontiac Silverdome is very nice. Unfortunately, it was condemned many years back, back in like 2002-ish, forgive me if I'm wrong on that, and it has since been torn down. Uh, And then he shoots to the Queen of Soul for America the Beautiful. He cuts to Aretha Franklin, of course. Uh, She does a great rendition of America the Beautiful. Um, She was a fantastic singer. Um, And then after this, we cut to the announced team, Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse the Body Ventura, who are with Mary Hart and Mr. Baseball Bob Euchre, who are doing sort of color commentary as well as interviews in the back. Bob Euchre will actually have a very famous WrestleMania moment at WrestleMania 4, so you have to tune in for that one, of course. I'm sure people already know what I'm talking about if you guys are wrestling <laughs> fans. Uh, Aretha Franklin, thoughts on her rendition of America the Beautiful? I mean, she's wonderful. She's yeah. Aretha Franklin. Yeah. I mean, I can't say anything bad about her. No. The movie, eh, but, you know, it hasn't come out yet, but it doesn't look great. But that's just my opinion. So our opening contest is the Can-Am Connection with Rick Martell and Tom Zank. Can-Am meaning, of course, Canadian-American connection. How original. Taking on the magnificent Don Morocco and the ace Bob Orton with Mr. Fuji. Bob Orton, three for three on WrestleManias here. Yeah, yeah, good for him. Yeah, I think this might be his last one until he's a Hall of Famer. But I could, again, I could be wrong. 
after the match announcement, Gorilla says WrestleMania 3 is a happening, and he says it about three times before anyone even locks up. So if you're playing along at home and taking a shot after every this is a happening, you're drunk pretty quickly, oh, yeah. I'm guessing. <laughs> uh, Martel starts the, ma- starts the match off with a shoulder block to his bigger opponent in Morocco. Uh, the Can-Am connection then isolate Orton from Morocco, leathering him with punches as we get... Uh, a host of advertisements I noticed in the arena, um, an old Bud Light one, and then we get two, count them, two, Olivia, Marlboro advertisements. Thoughts on the 80s and some good old cigarette advertisements like that? I mean, it made sense. Two um, of them, like, right by each other. Oh, that yeah. was hilarious. Yeah, I mean, I know it seems so foreign to us now, very uh, alien to us at this point in time, but back then, that was just... I'm sure everyone in this match smokes cigarettes. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, Orton then gets um, some sort of hot tag to Morocco, um, but he runs right into a drop kick. All four men then enter the ring for a series of punches as Martel Irish whips Morocco into Orton. Uh, but he, or sorry, Orton gets backdropped by accident by his opponent or by his tag team partner, and then the match ends after a crossbody win slash trip up from the Can M connection. So Olivia, what do you think of our opening matchup? Um, I think at this point, WWF is going in some sort of direction in terms of the formula that it's deciding to use on these particular shows. They're kind of really getting into their groove and really getting into in tune with uh, the way that they want these large shows to proceed. And so, of course, we're going to have a very up-tempo tag match to sort of kick off the show. Um, some very notable names in this match. So, of course, you know, for the more lay fans in the audience um this will get them kind of invested excited both in the crowd and at home and i don't blame them um this is a very good show opener and i thought it was a quality tag team match so i gave this a three out of five okay then um i think this is the best WrestleMania opener we've had to this point i agree not ever because we'll definitely get some bangers in the future definitely um our cats are eating right now, so again, bear with us. But yeah, this was a this was a solid match. Um, really exciting to see Rick Martel, who I told you as we were watching, I think is one of the most underrated wrestlers oh, of sure. the eighties. Um, Don Morocco's kinda getting to the the twilight of his career here. Um, Tom Zank is like this newer kind of up and comer. We'll see him a lot in the WCW days as we move forward. But yeah, good match here. Two young guys versus two kind of more wily veteran sort of things. Um, and the faces going over got the crowd really excited. Yeah. The the Michigan crowd who were pretty excited for that this whole show. Um, because we of course have the the eventual main event of Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. So which we'll of course talk about as we get there. But yeah, I give this a two point five. Oh okay. Well, can I just like pause for a moment? And this is the one thing that I kind of pondered as we were watching this show. It is so amazing to me the way that this has sort of evolved because. In the early years of WrestleMania, you have cities, um, like, for example, like, in Michigan, um, in Illinois, so Chicago, um, cities that have smaller arenas and venues, but sort of as time goes on and the decades pass, that you exclusively have WrestleMania in very, very large cities with extremely large arenas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's so interesting that you have in these early years places that will never get to host a WrestleMania ever again, basically. Yeah. I mean, so, if the Silverdome were still operational, it probably yeah. could. 
True. But, um, but even yeah. places like uh, like Chicago, for example, that I was thinking of. Because um, Soldier just, Field is too small, they it's say. It's too small, yeah. So you'll <laughs> never, ever see a restaurant, unless they were to, like, literally deconstruct and then rebuild a new stadium, which they would never do in Chicago. Well, unless they have the Olympics um, there, maybe. Yeah, which I don't think would ever happen either. <laughs> Uh, then, I mean, you'll never see it ever again. So it's just kind of interesting yeah. that, that that's um, yeah, I mean, the way that you they br- You bring up a good point. Like, obviously, Madison Square Garden, a nice, small, intimate arena. It's yeah. an awesome arena. But um, And then, even after this, they do two years in a row, four and five, at Trump Plaza in Atlantic City, yeah. which is tiny. Um, and then they go to the Sky Dome in Toronto, which is huge. And they keep, like, changing it up. The Hoosier Dome is another one they do. Uh, they do Caesar's Palace here in Las Vegas for WrestleMania 9. But it was after WrestleMania 23, I believe, they went back to Michigan and they did a football stadium where the University of Michigan plays for the life of me. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah. Um, which is a big arena. And Very Vince McMahon big. decided there, I'm never going to do normal stadiums again for WrestleMania. I want to do big football stadiums like that. So, right. Which is cool if you live in a place with a big ass football stadium, such yeah. as like Dallas had the big one or. Florida has a few big ones and whatnot, but if you live in a place with a smaller football arena like Chicago, which is a massive city, yeah, you're just not going to get that sort and of thing so again. And it's interesting, too, because, you know, I would argue that those places are more apt to, even though they are smaller arenas, you're going to get a better quality audience, say, there than, like, in, not to bash, but, like, Los Angeles, for example, because you have so many, in those instances, when you have such large arenas to fill, you're going to have... M- a larger percentage of lay fans going there um, and watching it rather than, like, true, um, you know, keeps up with wrestling and, you know, kind of knows the ins and outs of a true... Not uh, not to say true wrestling fans, because, you know, whether you like it a little bit or like it a lot, you're going to be a wrestling fan no matter what, so not ju- not judging. But I think that for a large part, you would get a better sort of crowd reaction, both good and bad, um, at... You know, like say, like a place like Chicago right. or Philadelphia, um, than a place like LA. Or yeah, something, that's true. So. Well, luckily WrestleMania brings in people from everywhere, right. regardless of where it's at. Exactly. So people will spend a year's worth of pay yeah. to fly from England to which is so WrestleMania wild to me is, so to think about. Makes for the great crowds, though, man. That's Absolutely. awesome. But anyways, uh, but anyway, moving on. We are backstage with Bobby Heenan, who instead of cutting a promo um, with his hand hercules he just lets hercules talk which is isn't the whole point of putting bobby heenan with someone so that that person doesn't have to talk yeah exactly uh, hercules talks about samson uh cowering at his feet i assume he's assuming he's pretending he's the real hercules bobby heenan then calls billy jack haynes billy jerk haynes which got a good giggle out of me <laughs> we move on to our next match which is of course billy jack haynes versus hercules hernandez with bobby the brain heenan the whole point of this match is to say who has the better full nelson and this made me chuckle because this is back when the full Nelson was looked at as, like, the greatest maneuver. Like, oh, who could break the full Nelson hold? What a strong man maneuver. Okay, 80s. <laughs> um, this is the first time we see a motorized ring cart, um, which I'm assuming brought the wrestlers to the ring during the first match, but they were already in the ring as the match started. But there's these cool little mini rings they're in, and they're motorized, and they bring you to the ring, and I fucking love these things. Uh, thoughts on the motorized ring carts? We'll see them throughout the rest of the show. I think this makes so much more sense than um, what they do now. And, you, I mean, if anybody's ever watched any backstage interview or, you know, leading up to WrestleMania sort of pseudo-documentary, you will hear all the wrestlers being like, this is, like, the longest ramp in existence, and I have to make my way down it 
you know, in less than 30 seconds or less than a minute or like whatever. And so they like basically have to sprint, which sometimes results in tripping and falling and sometimes results in wrestlers getting quite literally winded before they even make it to the ring. Um, Ultimate warrior. (laughs) So, I mean, this is just something that makes like the most sense and they're so kitschy. I don't know why we still don't, don't do something like this. I think because now everyone's got like that personalized entrance. That's like theirs. Like back then no one had, unless you were Hulk Hogan or the ultimate warrior, you didn't have like that, that entrance. So, but anyways, I'm a, I'm a fan. Yeah. Um, also last that Billy Jack Haynes is wearing yellow and green, which you wore last year at WrestleMania too, but it's for Oregon, the Oregon Ducks. And it says Ducks and Oregon on his stuff, which I'm like, I know you're from there, but. I'm assuming that's before Nike sort of ascertained, uh, sort of the, the copyright and uh, rights reserved to, uh, that sort of apparel. So somewhere a young John Cena is like, oh, I can't wait to go to town's. And start wearing the college team colors as part of my thing. Right. He's like, I'm going to be huge. Little did he know he'd have to be a rapper to uh, become the <laughs> biggest wrestler of a generation. Uh, anyway, both men go nose to nose, jockey for position, uh, and they match power with each other. Hercules nails Haynes with a massive clothesline, but that takes both men to the mat. Hercules then attempts his full Nelson, but it's unable to lock in the fingers. The ref still attempts a three count, and Haynes' hand definitely goes down for a three, but somehow it's not counted as a... You know, submission via TKO. Both men then head to the outside where Haynes locks in his full Nelson, resulting in the match ending in a double countout because yes. neither of them can hear the referee. Wouldn't you, like, hold on the full Nelson and then at, like, eight drop him to the floor and be like, I'm going to get back in the ring. Yeah. But obviously Billy Jack Haynes is a fucking idiot. Uh, after the match, Hercules crushes Haynes in the face with his chain. He comes out with, like, a big steel chain around his neck. Um, and you definitely see Billy Jack Haynes take his... Uh, his razor blade out of his out of his wrist tape and cut his head open on camera um, and he's bleeding everywhere and Hercules beats him down a little bit until the referee breaks them apart so this match ends in a double count out as I yes. said but Olivia what do you think? Um, so like you said before this feud uh, between these two is based on who is like the king of the full Nelson so we kind of knew going into this that there would be a little or a lot of that so there was no surprise there. This was really just your sort of run-of-the-mill big man showdown with bouts of some technical wrestling, i.e. the full Nelson. Um, if you want to call it technical, I guess. I mean, it is sort of technical. Um, you get that in, in uh, amateur wrestling. so That's true. I mean, <laughs> But, you know, like you said, this match ends in a double countout. So I was starting to somewhat enjoy this as the match progressed. Of course, I kind of leave the post-match antics out of my rating of the actual match itself, unless it is so compelling that I just have to include it. You don't think BJH uh, cutting his head open on camera and then the replay showing it again? I mean, it's it's a bit uh, it's a bit hokey. <laughs> so I somewhat enjoyed this. However, the ending itself to the actual match was very lackluster and didn't kind of fit or make sense for what the pseudo stipulation was so i gave this a two out of five okay that's a very high rating i thought this match was pretty boring um i didn't enjoy much of it um i don't think i'm looking at billy jack haynes um what's it called um wikipedia right now uh and (laughs) it's actually funny they're talking about this match and it says he's actually seen on camera taking the razor out of his wrist tapes and chasing 
Heenan around the ring. Um, I don't think they ever had, like, a follow-up to this, though. You think they would be like, all right, well... Yeah. Even though WrestleMania is supposed to be, like, the, the blow-up, the, like, the end of it, but... The finale. We, this still didn't have that then, so I gave this a one. I thought it was a very boring match. I didn't enjoy it very much. I think it's the weakest match. Well, tied with the weakest match on the card, but we'll tied. get to... Tied? Yes. Interesting. But we'll Ooh, get to that in a okay. moment. Uh, so we're backstage with Mean Gene, who is interviewing King Kong Bundy, who says big trouble comes in 450-pound packages because uh, he's, you know, massive. Uh, he then calls all of his opponents midgets. Um, his words, not mine. That's And they use the word midget a lot in this match. The commentary team, the referee, the opponents, or the uh, wrestlers, Bobby Heenan, they all use the words uh, midgets. So if you're watching this, just keep in mind that's what they're saying. We know they prefer the term little people or little person, um, but back then, haha, midget wrestling. So you might be wondering what that's about. Well, of course, we get our, as they call it, a mixed tag match, and I guess that is accurate, even though in our eyes, mixed tag match has always been a man and a woman versus a man and a woman. Um, but this is King Kong Bundy and Little Tokyo and Lord Littlebrook, who are two of the latter two are little people, taking on Hillbilly Jim, the Haiti Kid, and Little Beaver, the latter two of those also being little people. And Vince McMahon has always found, as he calls it, I'm putting this in quotations again, midget wrestling, funny, um, you know. You know. Thoughts? Uh, well, I mean, I'd rather you just get into what happened in the match and then I'll share my thoughts afterwards. Okay, so Tokyo and Haiti Kid start the match out. They do, they do some pretty good hip tosses. Um, yeah. Yeah, so... And their wrestling is pretty solid. I also thought King Kong Bundy and Hillbilly Jim were both, like, decent wrestlers for guys their size. But the rule is you can't wrestle the, the little person in the match. So Hillbilly and King Kong have to wrestle, wrestle each other. Uh, all four of the uh, smaller opponents get in the ring, and they hit some, like, really weird four-way, like, roll on each other. I don't even know how to describe it, but it's pretty, it's pretty funny. I don't yeah. know how they did it, but it looked cool. Uh, Gorilla says that we have two of the greatest of all time in the ring as Lord Littlebrook and Little Beaver lock up. So if you were wondering who two of the greatest of all time in 1987 were, Lord Littlebrook and Little Beaver, apparently, according to Gorilla Monsoon. Uh, Bundy then gets the tag, and he actually eats a dropkick from Little Beaver, but Nell sells it because he's a giant. Uh, Hillbilly then gets the tag, gets in the ring, and he hits King Kong Bundy with the clothesline. Bundy then keeps getting attacked by Little Beaver from behind, so he just hits him with a body slam and hits him with an elbow drop, which leads the referee to DQ Team Bundy. Um, and then after this disrespect, all four of the smaller wrestlers begin to attack King Kong Bundy, causing him to retreat in terror. Uh, so Olivia, I just gotta know, what did you think of this match? <sighs> okay, so this match is very tasteless. And a, another example of how poorly some aspects of wrestling age. This is one of my least favorite matches I've ever had the misfortune of watching. <laughs> and this is why. Not only is it very tasteless. I don't think I have to go further into, into explaining that. But also, you're going to take... I mean, the four um, little people aside. You know, King Kong Bundy and Hillbilly Jim are legitimate good wrestlers and I think that you know um quote-unquote comedy aside because I don't find this funny at all it's kind of sad that they were sort of thrust into this match that they I mean they could have had 
a great match with just each other regardless you know so it's kind of unfortunate and disappointing that this is sort of the way that it was set up um and don't get me wrong i am all for like comedy relief matches and um you know sort of the goofiness that is like celebrity matches um i'm all for that some of those are hit or miss yeah but this one was awful so i gave this a zero because i fucking hated this yeah so when i said tied for the worst match this was the one that you think it's tied you don't think this one is worse so the ending to the last match was just horrible i hate a double count out or a double dq or all that stuff at wrestlemania so that's what gave that such a low grade but as just a match in whole the zero this match gets a zero for me what a fall for Grace from King Kong Bundy. Main event of Seriously. WrestleMania 2 to this match. And that's nothing against the competitors because they all No, they were all very professional and very good, but yeah. the, the commentary was in poor taste and I was not a fan. Yeah, so I didn't like this either. So I guess this is worse than the last match. I didn't like either, but I did give this a zero. So I, I would call this the worst match of the night as well. But again, this is one they used to talk about as being like an epic WrestleMania moment was King Kong Bundy slamming Little Beaver, which, I mean, good for that guy taking that slam because King Kong Bundy's a big man. But moving on, uh, backstage with Mary Hart, she's interviewing the lovely Miss Elizabeth, about to ask her about the Intercontinental Championship match coming up. Infamous match, you ever heard of it? No? <laughs> yeah. Um, but they are interrupted before she can speak by Macho Man being very incoherent. Um making me laugh because I never know what's going to come out of Macho Man's mouth. And it's always an adventure. Much like an Ultimate Warrior promo. Macho Man, Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan, always entertaining promos, whether they're good or not. So he's spouting off about how Miss Elizabeth needs to go away and he's the Macho Man who yet dig it. Uh, and then we move to Mean Gene, who is with Harley Race, who we, of course, covered on the first Starcade, who is now in the World Wrestling Federation. He is the King Harley Race. In the very twilight of his career. Yes. Um, he's got to be in his late 40s at this point. Um, and he's stuck with this goofy-ass purple crown and purple cape with, like, Dalmatian print on it, I guess you would call it. I don't know. Uh, he and Bobby Heenan and the fabulous Mula, who is the queen of wrestling at this point, um, claim to be the king and queen of wrestling, as I said, and then say they're going to beat the Junkyard Dog down. And after they win, Junkyard Dog will have to bow to his king, bow to his basically bow to his master is what they say which again in poor taste i'm assuming they didn't mean for it to sound that way but in hindsight it sounds very racially motivated yeah (laughs) yeah um all right so the match starts king harley race with the fabulous mullah and bobby heenan taking on the junkyard dog jyd chases heenan around the ring falling prey to a slam from race race attempts a headbutt from the apron to the floor on junkyard dog but JYD moves out of the way, and all I can say is I'm glad there are mats on the floor here, because Harley Race would have went face first into some concrete if oh, this yeah. was a different arena or anything. Race attempts more headbutts, but they have no effect on the JYD because he's known for headbutts. Heenan then distracts JYD, allowing Race to hit a belly-to-belly suplex for the win, even if Junkyard Dog totally kicked out at two. Uh, Mula then sets up a chair in the ring for Race to sit on, and JYD has to bow to him. But instead, he hits him with the chair from behind, and we get the iconic shot of JYD with the crown and the robe on as the heels retreat from the ring. And this is where we get the commentary discrepancy between Gorilla and Ventura, which I always loved because 
Jace Ventura, of course, is the heel commentator, right? Right. Gorilla Monsoon is the face commentator. Whenever a heel does something bad, Gorilla's like, oh, how could he do that, Jess? And he's like, well, you know what, Gorilla? He was just, he was just doing what he has to do to win. But whenever a face does something like that, Gorilla's like, he deserved that. And Jesse Ventura always called Gorilla out on his shit. He goes, you know, if Harley Race would have done that, you would have had a problem with it, Gorilla. But when the JYD does it, that's my really bad Jesse Ventura <laughs> impersonation. You have no problem with it. And I love that because, like, I love Gorilla Monsoon, but yeah, bro, come on. Yeah, exactly. Jesse Ventura's like, I'm not going to fall for your shit, Gorilla. <laughs> um, but Olivia, what did you think of this match? Oh, this match was so underwhelming and that's really all i can say about it um the ending was pretty sudden this match wasn't very long nothing other than that was super notable about it i didn't really care for it it wasn't the worst thing i've ever seen but also like there was nothing there was no redeemable quality about it so i gave this a one out of five okay um i also gave it a one not a great match not a lot happened um luckily the show goes up from here yes so which There's that. Is good. Yes. Yeah, because so it started out strong, kind of went down, and then and then starts to climb. So, not much going on here either. I I never hated the Junkyard Dog. It's just not like a great wrestler. Harley Race obviously slowing down in his old age. So, just not the best. Mm-hmm. And then the whole you know, bowing to the white man sort of thing is very unfortunate. <sighs> Anyways, product of its time, I yes, guess. Yes, absolutely. Moving on. We are backstage with Vince McMahon for some reason, who is interviewing our heavyweight champion, Hulk Hogan. And he says, I'm not going to do a Hulk Hogan impersonation, but I just want to read this line word for word that he said. He was hanging and begging in the gym and hopped up on his Harley, comma, man, comma, who was told, I was told, brother, that this is my last ride. I guess the rumors going around where this was going to be Hulk Hogan's last match if he lost to Andre the Giant um they also said this was going to be andre's last ride as well and yeah. as we know he still wrestled for three-ish more years wrestled in quotations for three or more years um and then he compares hulkamania basically to heroin because he says it's the most pure strong stuff you could ever put in your veins gotcha and i was like ah that explains why nikki six killed himself later in this year and then came <laughs> back to life because he was just really hyped up on hulkamania brother exactly hulk Hogan promos big fan or yes yes or no or i I see the entertainment quality in them. There is something about Hulk Hogan. Like, I hate Hulk Hogan, but I also love Hulk Hogan. And I can't explain what it is, but every time he cuts a promo, I turn into a little Hulkamaniac again and want to rip my shirt off. It's it's that you're very acutely aware that he is a terrible person. (laughs) However, as a performer, he understands his craft. That's for sure. And he and Ultimate Warrior and Randy Savage all prove that it is not so much about what you say, it's about the way that you say it. Yep, and then you Um, had geniuses like Jake Roberts and Mr. Perfect on the mic who were super soft-spoken and well-spoken, and they never went to the world title picture because, you know, you weren't... 300 pounds of pure heroin, or uh, not heroin, but uh, (laughs) that might make you lose weight. 300 pounds of pure steroids at the time. Um, Our next match is the tag team match between the fabulous Rougeau brothers Jacques and Raymond. Jacques Rougeau would later be the Mountie, who I don't know if you ever knew that there was a wrestler in the early 90s called the Mountie. I'm not, yeah, um, I'm not familiar with that. We'll get a lot of the Mountie stuff here <laughs> gotcha. later later going forward. So it's Jacques. Yes, Jacques. Gotcha. What did you think it was? Jacques? 
No, no, no. I was just making sure that it was. Oh. I was Jacques certain and, on which show brother was. Yeah, Jacques and Raymond, uh, taking on the Dream Team: Brutus Beefcake and Greg the Hammer Valentine with luscious Johnny Valiant and the first appearance of the Canadian strongman Dino Bravo, who died from being murdered, which I hope to do a life of on Ooh. very soon because. It's a very crazy story about yeah. how Dino Bravo was literally just killed in his home. So crazy. Because of, like, smuggling and stuff like that, so... Yeah, that's wild. Um, okay, so let me just say this to start out the match. At this point in their career, Jacques and Raymond look exactly alike. So if I don't know which one's which, sorry, they look exactly similar to each other. So, forgive me. Uh, Ventura starts the match out by saying that the longer this match goes, the better Valentine gets. This match is like nine minutes long, so, you know, I guess. Uh, Valentine drops one of the brothers and uh, makes quick tags to his much less talented partner, because obviously Greg Valentine's a great wrestler, Brutus Beefcake is a guy who hung on to Hulk Hogan's coattails for way too long. Uh, That being said, thank you very much for being super nice to my mom and dad when they saw you out at a restaurant. Not too long ago. <laughs> uh, at this point, Bobby Heenan, out of nowhere, sneaks on to commentary and says that his uh, he is undefeated at WrestleMania so far this year, which is not true because technically Hercules Hernandez didn't win anything. And, you know, whatever. <laughs> one of the, I honestly was having trouble paying attention to this match, I'm going to be honest. So one of the Rougeaus has Valentine in a full Nelson because, you know, anyone can use that move, apparently. The whole match earlier was just pointless. Yeah. Uh, and Beefcake accidentally hits Valentine with an axe handle off the top rope. The Rougeaus then hit a pretty impressive double-team top rope leg drop, uh, but the ref is distracted, allowing Bravo to hit one of them from behind and gives Valentine the decisive win. Valentine, Bravo, and Valiant then argue with Beefcake, leaving him alone in the ring, and this starts a face turn for Beefcake that we will see going on a little later. Um, but your winners are the Dream Team, for the last time, the Dream Team. Olivia, what did you think of this tag team affair? Um, so we get, obviously, another tag team showing on the card. And although I'm not familiar with the Rougeau brothers at this point, they actually got, like, a decent amount of offense in this match. Um, this match was decent. Definitely wasn't the most involved matchup I've ever seen. So it was a much slower pace than the first tag team match that we get on the Wrestlemania 3 card, the opener. Um, so I give this a 2.5 out of 5. It was just middle of the road, okay. Nothing that stuck out to me that was the worst thing in the world, but nothing that stuck out to me that was like the greatest thing in the world. So for that, 2.5. Alright, I think mostly just because the bad taste in my mouth from the last match that I might have been a little more generous, but I gave this a 3. Oh. thought this was a pretty decent tag okay. team match. Uh, the Rougeau brothers are very talented wrestlers. Uh, Jacques Rougeau would go on to be much more entertaining down the line, especially as the Mountie, as I said. And Raymond Rougeau goes on to commentary later. Um, and Ooh. then this starts the whole barber gimmick later because we yeah. move, on, move on to our next match, the hair versus hair match between adorable Adrian Adonis taking on Rowdy, Roddy Piper. There is a reason this match happened because Roddy Piper went away from wrestling in 1986 and he left his, uh... Piper's Pit to Adrian Adonis, who went from like a badass biker gimmick to the sort of feminine 
Um, back then they called him the gay character, even though he wasn't a gay man. The appropriate um, word would be androgynous. Androgynous, yes. Um, and he turned it into the flower shop with Fluffy was was the name. So Piper came back and was like, what is this crap? And started throwing stuff around and ha- hating on it. So this whole match came in to fruition, of course. Gotcha. Uh, Piper gets a huge pop coming through the apron, or through the apron, through the uh, ring curtain. Crowd goes batshit crazy for him, which is hilarious because just a year later, everyone hated him. Yeah. So, huge turn, fa- there, face turn uh, for Roddy Piper. 80s wrestling fans for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to be fair, that's current wrestling fans too. That is true. Uh, uh, so, both men lock up. Piper starts to whip Adonis with his belt. Um, again, I ask, not a disqualification, but whatever. Uh, Piper drags Hart, Jimmy Hart, into the ring. Sorry, I meant to say adorable Adrian Adams came out with the mouth of the South Jimmy Hart in this match. He drags Jimmy Hart into the ring uh, and gives him and Adonis a double naga knocker. He then tosses Jimmy off of the top rope directly into an unsuspecting Adonis. Adonis gains the advantage after Jimmy Hart distraction and he locks in the goodnight Irene, which is the name of his sleeper hold. Great name for that, by the way. Uh, but Piper begins to pass out. Adonis thinks he wins, but however, the referee only dropped his hand twice. You have to drop your hand three times for the count. So Riley Piper is like, nah, dog. Um, and then out of nowhere, for some reason, Brutus Beefcake runs to the ring, gets in the ring, and starts to like try and slap Roddy Piper awake. Apparently they're friends. I was unaware of this, but, you know, Beefcake's a face now, so he's friends with all the faces, as they say. Uh, and Piper locks in his own sleeper hold because Adonis is still distracted, passes out Adonis, gets the win, your winner, Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Beefcake then begins to shave, I guess, uh, Adrian's head very slowly. Piper holds Jimmy Hart down with one foot on him. Howard Finkel announces that Piper is the winner in his farewell match, Olivia. We know that's not true. Right. Uh, and a fan jumps into the ring and hugs Piper. And Piper's like, oh, okay, buddy. And hugs him back. And then you just see security like fucking tackle this dude. Oh, God. This starts the Brutus the Barbecue Beefcake gimmick. Um, and actor Rowdy Roddy Piper. Because after this, Roddy Piper left to film. Do you know what film? They Live. They Live. One of my favorite movies of the 1980s. And a John Carpenter classic. But Olivia, what did you think of our hit? Oh, I also forgot to mention after Adonis gets his hair mutilated, Piper holds up a mirror and he's like, oh my God, because his hair looks like shit. And he like yeah. tries to punch the mirror out of Piper's <laughs> hand in a very humorous thing. Um, but Olivia, what did you think of our hair versus hair match? This was one of the more lighthearted hair versus hair matches I've ever seen, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. This is what I am referring to when I say that there is a correct way to do a comedy match and an incorrect way to do a comedy match because... Of course, with the stipulation, with the characterizations of both competitors, you're in for some good 80s classic sort of wrestling. Hilarity. Yes, hilarity. And so this was really lighthearted. I think this kind of pulled the audience back up from the trenches of the last few matches that occurred. And I was a fan of this. So I gave this a 3 out of 5. Even though... I think this is one of the longest haircuts in existence to occur on a wrestling pay-per-view. <laughs> oh my yes. god, did this take forever. And it he did. didn't even shave his whole head. He did not. Um, he would shave his head later down the yes. line. But this is Adrian Adonis' last WrestleMania appearance. He ended up dying on July 4th, 1988. Um, he was in a car uh, car accident and with some fellow wrestlers... Um, 
Mike Kelly and Pat Kelly and Dave McGinji, I believe it says right here. Um, and they got into a car accident that just like the car fell off the road and everyone but the driver died because naturally the driver never seems to die in car accidents. So last appearance at WrestleMania for Adrian Adonis, but this match was super fun and he went out on a high note, even though he lost because he played this role to perfection. Absolutely. He was a villainous, cowardly and hilarious heel all at the same time. And he gave Piper a run for his money in a great showing. And Piper is great as usual. So I gave this a 3.5. I thought it was super fun. I thought it was ridiculous. I thought it was funny. And even though I'm not a huge Brutus Beefcake fan, um, you got the barber gimmick out of it. Yeah. So that's something. He. And I always feel like, too, that, like, I don't, I couldn't tell you this because I've, you know, not Googled it and I uh, have never heard of this. But I do feel as though... Adrian Adonis sort of, like, paved the way for people like sort of Goldust, per se, um, to continue that sort of very androgynous, um, sort of, you know, kind of, like, mysteriously creepy feminine character. Um, It very much gives me him vibes from the Powerpuff Girls. Yes. You know what I mean? That's pretty good. I feel like that's a good way to describe it. Somewhere the creator of Powerpuff Girls is like, oh, someone finally got it. I was just an Adrian Adrian Adonis (laughs) fan. All right. So uh, in the ring before the next match, Howard Finkel introduces Jesse Ventura, claiming he is the man who allegedly tells it like it is. Okay. Uh, (laughs) And then Jesse Ventura is like, not allegedly. I always tell it how it is. Uh, And Ventura claims that he is going to be the next great Hollywood star because Jesse Ventura has a movie coming out yeah. in the summer of 1987. Olivia, do you know what movie that is? Um, Predator? Predator, yeah. which is also one of my favorite movies from the 80s. Has the iconic meme of Carl Weathers and Arnold Schwarzenegger clapping hands and yes. their muscular arms and you son of a bitch. So uh, watch Predator if you haven't seen it. Also watch They Live because they're fucking great. Yes. Move on to our six-man tag team match. One of the cats just me out, I think. Uh, we get... The Hart Foundation, Brett the Hitman Hart, and Jim the Adful Knight Hart, and Dangerous Danny Davis with Jimmy Hart. No relations between Mary Hart, Brett Hart, or Jimmy Hart. So they all have the Hart name. Uh, they're the tag team champions as well, the Hart Foundation. Taking on David Boy Smith and the Dynamite Kid of the British Bulldogs and Tito Santana. And they are, of course, accompanied by the beautiful Matilda the Bulldog, who, as soon as she gets in the ring, attacks Jimmy Hart in a very hilarious fashion. And then Jesse Ventura just grabs the dog and, like, takes her to the back because, you know, you don't want the dog out there getting super overstimulated. Uh, funny moment, though, because I, I thought that was pretty cute. Um, so Danny Davis, first time covering him, I had to explain to you that he was actually a former referee that would constantly take the sides of the heels. So the WWF at the time suspended him for life plus five years as a referee, <laughs> plus ten years as a referee. That's like a sentence where it's like, oh, you're you're sentenced to 12 life sentences plus 10 years. Like, yeah. what's the, just say what's he's... What's the point? Yeah. yeah. Um, I get it. It's got to be on every count, but whatever. Uh, on the commentary, as I mentioned, Mary Hart lets us know that her and Brett and Jimmy Hart are not related. She would never want to be related to them. Brett Hart and Jim Neidhart are related, though, because they are cousins? Step, stepbrothers? They're something. Um, no. Okay, so Jim Neidhart is married to... One of Brett's thousand sisters? Yes. Okay. One of Brett's sisters. Okay. So, they're brother-in-laws. Yes. Do you know who else 
in this match is, is married to one of Bret Hart's sisters? No, I don't. David Boy Smith. Gotcha. So, okay. Or I don't think so at this time, but he definitely eventually, eventually became married to her. Uh, the Bulldogs and Hart Foundation go at it for a few moments as Mary Hart ponders if they work out in those hot pink numbers, which got a good laugh out of me because... <laughs> and me. <laughs> yeah, because um, I was like, the pink and black is classic, guys. Yeah. Do you want them to go back to the blue, Mary? Is that yeah, what you want exactly. from them? What are you doing over there, kitty? Um, the Hearts then isolate Dynamite from his corner, isolate, isolate, allowing Davis in the ring finally, but when he attempts his first offensive mood... Dynamite Kid gets his knees up, and they get the hawk tag to Tito, who begins to beat the ever-loving crap out of Danny Davis, who is barely a wrestler. Davy Boy then nearly kills Davis by hitting him with a jumping tombstone pal driver that doesn't even get a three count, um, and then nearly wins the match after a running power slam. Pandemonium breaks loose as all six men fight in the ring, and Davis gets the pin on Davy Boy after hitting him with Jimmy Hart's megaphone, much to the chagrin of the fans. But Olivia, what did you think? Of this six-man tag team match. So, while I definitely think this match was good, I love all of the opponents in this match. I have no complaints. It feels fairly convoluted with the individual additions to each team. So Danny Davis and Tito Santana being added to these two tag teams. Um, I felt like the pace and chemistry would have been of a higher caliber had it just been the two tag teams rather than, like, all, like, six of them together. Um, which, I mean, I can't really blame them because that's just kind of what you're going to get when you do have these sort of three-on-three and more matches, so the four-on-four and so on and so forth. Um, it can feel a little crowded and just wait till um, next week because we're covering the very first Survivor Series. So you want to talk about crowded. Um, and so your, each move that's executed is a little bit more hesitant than if you were just, you know, tag team versus tag team. So I gave this a three out of five. Okay. I give it a three out of five as well. Um, you're not getting a bad match out of the Hearts or the Bulldogs exactly. or Tito Santana. Yeah. Um, Davis is the weak link here, but that's because he's not really a trained wrestler. So yeah. I think that's why they put that. Because they're like, if we put them with these other five guys. Yeah. I mean, he's, it makes he's sense. He's going to look okay. Yeah. Um, and he's got a lot of heat. The fans do not like him. So him winning the match made it even more fun because the fans got really pissed. Um, so I give this a three out of five as well. Fun match. Nothing great. Um, obviously, Bret Hart will have much better matches going down the line yeah but yeah three out of five for me all right but then backstage again with mean gene who is with andre the giant and bobby heenan heenan promises that andre will become the new heavyweight champion of the world and that he is undefeated which is actually not true but in the world of the wwf i believe he is undefeated in a way um spoiler alert he will be defeated (laughs) moving on to our next match the natural butch reed with the master of style the doctor of style slick rather Taking on Koki Beware with Frankie the Bird. Um, I hate Koki Beware. I'm sorry. If you guys are a fan of Koki Beware, if anyone's a fan of Koki Beware, if Koki Beware listens to this, I apologize. You just suck. So, you would like one of the most undeserving Hall of Fame members in the WWE. You and Donald Trump. So, and if Donald Trump's listening to this, fuck you. Um, <laughs> so, Ventura claims that Gorilla is lucky to be sitting next to the future movie star. Uh, Ventura then keeps referring to Coco as Buckwheat. So let's talk about that real quick. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is a very... Mm, <laughs> racist. It's just not... I can't think of any other word to describe it other than that. Do you know who Buckwheat is? Um, no. Yes. No. So 
there are two different buckwheats. There's buckwheat from the Little Rascals, which I yes, yes, and then there's also buckwheat, the Eddie Murphy character from Saturday Night Live, that I think he's referring him to because yes, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, not not the best reference. Um, buckwheat's awesome. Like that Eddie Murphy character is great. It's only (laughs) racist because of the not only the fact that it refers to sort of a character that um, represents sort of racial stereotypes, but then also because. Of the tone and inflection in which you use the sort of um, adjective in. So, yeah, not like the greatest choice of words yeah. there. Luckily, we don't have to get too much of this because his match is super short. Uh, but Coco frustrates Reed early, but the bigger man takes the advantage by thumbing Coco directly in the throat. Coco hits a crossbody, but Butch rolls over and wins the match while holding the tights and I believe Slick the... Uh, the manager was also holding his feet. Um, Tito then comes out post-match to make the save as Bush Reed beats down Coco Beware. Because Tito Santana just needs to save everybody from a beatdown. Motherfucker, you don't win matches. Who are you saving? <laughs> um, but that's beside the point. Olivia, what did you think of this match? I mean, there's really not much to say. Not much happens in this match. It's not great. So, this wasn't my most favorite. It was suffice. I was very lukewarm on the results. I didn't really care either way. Um, I was just ready to move on, so I gave this a 2 out of 5. That's way too high. I gave it a 1. This match sucked. This match did nothing. What was the point of having it? You could have cut it down. I agree. This was only a 3-hour pay-per-view. It could have been 2 hours. It could have been exact... It it was like 3 hours and 5 minutes. It could have been exactly 3 hours if you cut down this crap. Yeah. Um, I just... God, I just don't like Coco Beware. But we'll move on to a much better match. So that better match... It's pretty infamous. I asked you earlier. I think you're pretty bad. Are you... World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Championship match. The champion Macho Man Randy Savage with Miss Elizabeth taking on Olivia's boyfriend, one of her many 80s boyfriends, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat with George the Animal Still. Less than five ever. <sighs> okay. So what I'd like to do on gimmick matches is like I can't go through every point because they're so heavy. Same with this match. There is a lot going on here. There's a lot. And that, Olivia, I don't know if you know this, but this match, every single move from the moment the bell rang to the moment it ended was planned out beat for beat for beat on paper by Randy Savage. And they, according to Ricky Steamboat, nailed it to perfection. Wow. Okay. As opposed to a classic match Ricky Steamboat had later down the line with Ric Flair, which was a 60-minute match, which they both claimed they called on the fly. So, a testament to Ricky Steamboat to not only being able to memorize a roughly 15-minute match, but also to call a 60-minute match on the fly. Um, This is considered one of the greatest WrestleMania matches of all time. I'll go through it briefly, and then we'll discuss if we agree with that. Match starts out quick. Both men one-upping each other with attempts at offensive moves. Steamboat hits a series of epic deep arm drags, frustrating the champion to the outside. Steamboat then gets a massive leverage on a wrist lock, dropping Savage painfully to the mat. Savage Irish whips the dragon and hits him with a high knee to the back of the head. He then hits a series of top rope axe handles, annoying the crowd with his awesomeness, because Macho Man is awesome. This is back before people loved him, by the way. This match, I think, made people love him. Uh, Savage then hits a nice over-the-top rope clothesline, um, which isn't what you would think. So basically, Steamboat is on the ropes in the ring. Savage, cl- Savage climbs to the top rope, hits him with the clothesline, and he flips over the top ropes, which was which was pretty cool. Savage then gets launched over the top rope to the floor and eats a top rope chop from Steamboat. Steamboat then gets the crowd pumped with a series of near falls, but Savage kicks out at every turn. This is like a two-minute long pin attempt yeah. series, and it is 
awesome. Yeah. Because, like, again, so planned awesome. out moment for moment. Uh, Savage then inadvertently rams Steamboat into the referee, murdering him on the spot. Macho notices he's out, so he heads to the top rope and hits his patented top elbow drop, but he cannot get the three because there is no referee. Savage technically wins the match. Uh, he then grabs the ring bell, but George Steele, who is, of course, still kind of feuding with Randy Savage at this point, pushes him off the top rope, and the bell hits him in the head. Steamboat then takes the advantage and the championship by rolling Savage up to the delight of the crowd, and then we get the awesome shot of them in the motorized ring headed back. Steamboat is lifting the championship up, and George Steele is hugging Ricky Steamboat because he's super happy someone beat Macho Man. Miss Elizabeth and Savage are crying, according to Ventura. Um, but Olivia, what did you think of cons- what is considered one of the greatest WrestleMania matches of all time? So forgive me for my lack of wrestling history knowledge. For as much as I have in this little brain of mine, this little pea brain, I was very unaware of when we started to watch this that this was considered one of the, the greatest matches. So in a way, I didn't have any sort of pre-existing expectations for this match which interesting and ended up being to my benefit i think because this has been by far one of the best matches on the card and also probably one of the best matches that i've ever watched ever and also i think that steamboat and savage have such great ring chemistry And it is a testament not only to their memorization skills, but then also the fact that it doesn't, even though it was planned out beat by beat, it doesn't present itself in that way, in the best way possible. And this match sort of just builds and builds and builds with multiple two and a half counts, leaving the audience on edge. I think this sets up a perfect archetype of the types of matches that we will actually see almost a whole decade later some the the definitely the type of match that I would define the attitude era with in the way that I define sort of um gimmicks and tag matches with the eighties. I sort of define the attitude era as a lot of these matches that just sort of continuously build and build and build and build until the audience like can't I mean they're just have so much anticipation for how it's gonna end. Um so anyways this match had both me and the crowds losing their minds as the title changed hands in one of the best WrestleMania matches ever. So I gave this a five out of five. Ooh. Yeah. Excellent. So you agree with everyone. I agree with everyone. I do as well. Five Perfect. out of five. For every reason you said, this match is great. There is a reason it lives on in infamy. And this match has been known to uh, not only make fans, but inspire people like Chris Jericho. John Moxley, CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, wrestlers that we know and love that put on great matches today, inspired by this match, by these people. And that's a high list of people. Many others as well. Right. The, Cody Rhodes even said, like, a match like this. Uh, Kenny Omega. Like, all these people love this match. Great match. Five out of five. One of the best WrestleMania matches of all time. Easily. And also, I just have to preface that um after watching this match and realizing that there are not one not two but three more matches left on this card i felt so sorry for everybody that had to follow this up Mm -hmm. because they were not going to top this yeah and there's a there's a old saying that everyone came for hogan and andre but everyone left feeling steamboat and savage yes 
So we're backstage with Jake the Snake Roberts and one of my favorite musicians, Alice fucking Cooper. Um, Jake is now a face. Roberts cuts a killer promo on Jimmy Hart and the Honky Tonk Man about how Honky Tonk Man messed up his guitar shot um, on Jake Roberts on TV because he didn't <sighs> cut the guitar correctly, so it didn't break. Ugh. Instead, it just smacked Jake Roberts in the back. God. And he's going to break Jake, or he's going to break the Honky Tonk Man himself. So the next match, Jake the Snake Roberts with Alice Cooper taking on the Honky Tonk Man with Jimmy Hart. Uh, Jake takes it to the Honky Tonk Man with many punches, not allowing Honky Tonk... I'm just going to call him Honky. That's like the easiest thing to call him. So not allowing him to get his jumpsuit off. Honky Tonk Man is, of course, a uh, Elvis impersonator, so that's super fun. Uh, due to a distraction from Jimmy Hart, Honky begins to drop Roberts with axe handles. Jake then attempts a DDT, but Hart grabs his foot, and Honky Tonk Man gets the win while holding the ropes. But post-match... Jake grabs the guitar and barely misses the Honky Tonk Man's face with it as it shatters against the ring post. Jimmy Hart is then stuck in the ring with Alice Cooper, who grabs Damien the snake, making Jimmy scream a very high-pitched scream as they place the snake onto him. Again, much to the delight of the crowd, and you see just how tiny of a man Alice Cooper is as he's sitting there in his sweet makeup and his tight leather pants and boots. But Olivia, what did you think of this match? So, like I said, I don't normally include the sort of post-match antics in my rating for the match itself unless I feel compelled to do so, but I think that they were way more interesting than the match itself, um, and so for that, I gave this a 3 out of 5. Oh, this damn. was pretty was decently high. entertaining. Um, the match wasn't great, but Honky Tonk Man's never been the greatest wrestler. I gave this a 2.5. I thought it was super fun. Um, with the post-match antics, and that really bumped it up higher than it should have been. Um, seeing Alice Cooper here is really cool, because I love Alice Cooper. He is one of my favorite musicians. And the year before this, he released one of my personal favorite Alice Cooper albums, Constrictor, which has one of my personal Alice, favorite Alice Cooper songs. He's back, The Man Behind the Mask, which is yes. the theme song for Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. So yeah, Alice Cooper's awesome. Seen him live. He's great. Uh, Howard Finkel then introduces Mean Gene, who has a special announcement that we have an indoor attendance record of 93,173. Again, we talked about how that can be disputed later down the line. Um, it looks like 93,000, but if you were to also say that's only 78,000, I'd be like, yeah, that looks right too. Yeah. So whatever the point is, uh, you know, there was a lot of people there. However, funny story that I told you, um, they actually had their original attendance record beat by the Pope when he went there. <laughs> but the Pope technically had less than the 93,000 because that wasn't the real number. So the Pope and his people inflated their numbers to like 95,000. So he set Goodness. the indoor... So he technically set the indoor attendance record, but not with the number that the WWE said. Right. So he had to inflate his own numbers, which I think is just hilarious and not very Catholic, I would assume, right? No. You're not supposed to lie. All right, so we move on to our semi-main event, the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov with Slick taking on B. Brian Blair and Jumpin' Jim Brunzel of the Killer Bees. The Doctor of Style, Slick, at the request of Nikolai Volkov, asks everyone to rise for the singing of the Soviet National Anthem. But out of nowhere, Hacksaw Jim Duggan runs to the ring and his 2x4, and he attacks Volkov as he is singing the album, uh, anthem, which starts a USA chant. Uh, and let me explain a really funny thing here. So Jim Duggan is a face. USA face. Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik are ugh, nasty foreign hills. How dare right. they be from yeah. somewhere else? All three men got in trouble. 
huge trouble for getting pulled over by the police and traveling together, which was a big no-no back then. Yes. Um, because they were like, how could you, how could you run with these foreign heels, Jim Duggan? Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> uh, so I believe the Iron Sheik actually got fired for that incident. Wow. Yeah. So, but that happened, of course, after this. Uh, the heels attack the bees as they are taken off their ring jackets, but their double Irish whip is reversed and the foreigners hit each other. The bees then hit some high-impact offense, and Jim Redzell is isolated as the heels attack him in his corners, and the chants fant, chants, fan, fans chant USA. Good lord, that's hard to say. Uh, Sheik then hits a nice gut wrench superplex, but only gets two. Blair then gets the hot tag, but the referee does not see it, allowing the Sheik to lock in the camel clutch, but as the ref is distracted... Duggan, for some reason, hits Sheik with the 2x4, but the referee turns around at the right time, and the Killer Bees are disqualified. Sheik and Nikolai Volkov wins. Olivia, what did you think of this match? So, um, I mean, there's not much to actually say about the match itself. However, I will make this point that at this point in time, I feel as though... Um, you're starting to see a decline in the type of matches that they choose to include and um, things that they think that the fans will find entertaining. So at this point, I think the feverish patriotism sort of type match is growing a little tired. Um, I mean, of course, this sort of archetype used to be a staple, um, especially when you consider 80s wrestling. And this will continue on after this point. It will just be less so. And I think we kind of see in this match why. So for that, I gave this a 2.5 out of 5. Wasn't my favorite thing ever. Wasn't the worst thing ever. Middle of the road. Yeah, exactly. Killabree's talented tag team. Never cared too much about them. I used to think they had the coolest ring gear. Now I'm just like, it's just yellow and black lines. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, 2.5. It was fine. Um, you know, nothing great. And especially coming between the IC title match and the match we're about to get, which is, of course, our main event. For the World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship, our champion Hulk Hogan taking on the eighth one of the world, Andre the Giant, with Bobby the Brain Heenan. Andre has been a lifelong face. And on Piper's Pit one time, Hogan does not have a challenger. No one can quite challenge Hogan. And Andre comes in, and Hogan's like, what are you doing here, brother? Why are you with Bobby Heenan? You're never with Bobby Heenan. And Andre says, I'm going to challenge you for the championship. And... Hogan is like, I will not fight my brother, brother. No, brother, I can't fight you, brother. Um, so Andre rips off his shirt, rips off his cross necklace. He actually cut Hogan's chest with his fingernails. So Hogan likes to tell the story, like, if you see me crying, it's because, like, he actually cut me deep. But it made for good television because it looked like I was crying because my friend betrayed me. I'm yeah. Like, That's actually pretty good. Gotta give it to them. Um, Andre is, of course, in the twilight of his career as well. He had just finished filming. Do you know what movie Andre the Giant just finish filming at this point princess bride the princess bride another one of my favorite 80s movies it's like all these guys are like let's just make great movies for tommy yes um he his back is failing him you can see him wearing his harness under his singlet at some points in this match but he wanted one last hurrah in japan in the states and what he thought was going to be his last match was going to be a favorite to vince mcmahon and jobbing out to hulk hogan giving the champion the win spoiler alert andre does not win here also, spoiler alert, Andre the Giant wrestles many times after this, so... But he can barely move around. He is not the Andre of old. He is old Andre, but not the Andre of old. Right. Uh, so, Howard introduces our guest ring announcer, Mr. Baseball Bob Uecker. 
Jesse says hi to Terry, Tyrell, and Jade back in Minneapolis and then calls Mr. Euchre Mr. Basketball instead of Mr. Baseball, which I thought was funny. Bless you. Uh, Hogan and Andre have a stare down, an epic moment in wrestling as the bell rings and Andre's weight is getting the better of Hogan. He attempts a pin right away, um, but cannot put down the champion. Andre then hits a massive body slam. Andre throws Hogan around the ring, just playing with his prey as Hogan cannot take the fight to Andre. But he fights back with some punches and a big roundhouse, yet Andre still will not fall off his feet. Andre locks in a bear hug, squeezing the insides of the champion. The referee, who Joey Morella, goes for a three count, but Hogan, of course, fights, fights out of it, smashing Andre's face and throwing some more massive punches. Hogan then pulls up the mats on the outside, goes for a pal driver. How he's ever going to pal drive Andre the Giant, I do not know, but it's reversed, and Hogan lands back first on the concrete on the outside. He has Stone back in the ring, and Andre starts to punch him some more, but Hogan hulks up. Hits a clothesline, and Andre finally tumbles to the floor, and the crowd starts going bananas for this. Hogan then hulks up some more. He does the most, I would argue, the most infamous moment in WrestleMania history. Picks up the giant, slams him to the mat, hits the epic leg drop, gets the 1-2-3 to retain his championship, and Andre goes out on his back to the delight of the crowd. But Olivia, what did you think of our main event? So I feel like no matter what, I have to give this match a high grade because it's one of the most memorable matches in all of wrestling history. Um, you know, the crowd lost their minds when Hogan slammed Andre, and of course, it was a great finale to the show. The crowd goes absolutely banana sandwich for this, and this is something that people will still talk about to this day. Um, including people who, you know, shortly thereafter weren't wrestling fans anymore or were just wrestling fans as a kid at the time. My dad, yeah. So, um, for that, I have to give this at least a four out of five. All right. Um, not a wrestling classic, yet somehow a wrestling classic. Yes. Both men, not the greatest wrestlers, somehow put on a phenomenal match. I love this match. It is WrestleMania to its core. There is the old rumor that... Andre was going to refuse to let Hogan slam him. But in the middle of the ring, he's like, the crowd's so hot. Slam me, boss, is what he would always call Hogan. And then Hogan slammed him. That's been disputed by many people, but you don't really know, ever. Maybe Andre called an audible because he was the original Undertaker. The Undertaker is the leader in the locker room. Well, I guess not anymore, but was the leader in the locker room for so long. Andre was the original Undertaker in that respect. So what Andre says goes. Um, So I like the little story of Andre being like, I'm not going to let Hogan do this to me. And then finally be like, all right, do it. And he does it. I give this a five out of five. Okay. And it's 98% for spectacle um, because this is just awesome to watch. It's really cool to see that moment. Yeah. No matter how many times I see Hulk Hogan slam Andre the Giant, I'm like, that is awesome because Andre is at least 500 pounds and Hogan's strong. It's not easy to do. No. Not easy on Andre's it's a back. Big man. Yeah. Um, and of course, Hogan gets the win. The right person got the win. Um, Andre would go on to win the championship later, but we will talk about that at our WrestleMania 4 podcast. So yes, I gave this a 5 out of 5 as well. So Olivia, what are your match of the night, performer of the night, and final grade for WrestleMania 3? So, my match of the night is pretty obvious. It's Steamboat versus Savage, the IC championship match. Um, what else can I say other than that this was pure wrestling perfection? From the story to the execution, all of it in between. My performer of the night, I think it's pretty obvious. 
Ricky Steamboat, Classic my boy, Steamboat. because he was part of my favorite match of the night, and it was very satisfying to see him win the title from Savage. And my final rating for the show has got to be a 4 out of 5, because even without the context of this being a very well-received WrestleMania, the quality of the matches, mostly in the latter half, and the production made for a memorable show. Yes, um... This is a great show, but before I get to my rating, I'm going to give my match of the night to Savage and Steamboat as well. Perfect match. Amazing how they were able to do what they did. Still lives in infamy as one of the greatest matches. My performer of the night, however, is going to Andre the Giant for the show he put on, the work ethic he put on. Really not being able to move around a lot and should not have taken the bump he did, but he did it because he loves Vince McMahon, he loves wrestling, he loves Hulk Hogan, and he loves the fans, most importantly. Um... We'll never find another guy like Andre the Giant in wrestling again, no matter how hard they've tried since then. Yeah. Uh, my attire of the night, there is a lot of good ones on this yeah. show. Miss um, Elizabeth looked beautiful as always. Um, but I'm not really giving it to like an attire as is. I'm giving it to a pair of shoes. And those were the sweet black and yellow Nikes that the Killer Bees were rocking. Oh yeah, those were sick. Those sick 80s oh, Nikes. so cool. They were cool. Uh, big fan of those. So probably the only time in the world the Killer Bees will get a tire of the night it for me. It is so crazy too because they looked exactly like sort of the, I mean it's the same construction of Air Jordans today, the the Nike ones. So I mean it just, uh, I mean it's, uh, these are truly timeless shoes. Yeah. In a colorway that I can imagine has been probably sold afterward, if not something super similar to it. Agreed. Uh, my final grade is also a four. This is a, a great WrestleMania. It's a fun WrestleMania. Even with the lows, the highs are so high that they can't really bring the grade down too much. Um, and like I said, this is the first true like WrestleMania. Unfortunately, WrestleMania 4 sucks. So when we get to that... Um, you know, the high that we got on WrestleMania 3 is going to just tank at WrestleMania 4. But the thing is, is that if you were ever considering showing somebody a wrestling pay-per-view, if they were ever interested, this is definitely something I would recommend. Not mm-hmm. only going back and rewatching yourself just to relive all of these memories, but then also something to watch with the rents, something to watch with lay wrestling fans, new wrestling fans, old wrestling fans all in between yeah um so thank you for listening everyone thank you for listening to wrestlemania 3 we will be back next week with the very first survivor series 1987 yes but olivia until then would you like to take us home absolutely please go follow us on instagram at that's gotta be wrestling that's our podcast hub where we post good memes bad memes all memes in between what we post when we go live or shortly thereafter because i am a very forgetful person Also, go check out the uh, link tree in our Instagram bio. That's going to take you to all the places that you can listen to our podcast. Well, not all of them, but to all of the major ones, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc., etc. And also a link to our Redbubble page. But as always, Tommy, thank you for talking wrestling with me. Thank you for talking wrestling with me. And I guess I'll close out on Slammy Boss.